It is powerful. And I hope that this Revealing Jesus series has already made an impact on you and the way that you see our awesome Saviour Jesus. Um, That's really our heart um, behind Revealing Jesus. And lastly, we spoke about how Jesus is our victory. So no matter what temptation we're faced with, no matter what trial we're faced with in our lives, because of Jesus, because of what He has done, we can actually have victory over those circumstances. So I hope that that message blessed you. I know that um, for some of you, you know, you've given feedback and and God really ministered uh, to you through that. So that's awesome to hear. And today we're going to continue in that. And today we're going to be talking about how Jesus is our forgiveness. So we're going to be talking about this beautiful gift of forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. And so I'm really excited because I believe that forgiveness is one of those things that no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord for, you always need to come back to forgiveness. My, my elders up in this place, you know, you would, you would agree that you're not beyond needing to forgive sometimes. Um, and our elders are legends, you know. They're, oh, they're kind of like angels, but, you know, um, they're amazing. Um, but we all need to access this beautiful gift of forgiveness. And um, we're going to unwrap it a little bit this morning. And I want to start off by um, going to the Word of God. And, and we're going to read together this passage of Scripture in Luke 7. Because this is, one of, I think, one of my favorite accounts of how Jesus brings forgiveness into our world. So let's take a look. It's going to be up on the screen. So it says this in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, so she was known, she had this reputation that she was a sinner. Having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is who was touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Here we go. Simon's about to get schooled. You ready? You ready for this? All right. He says, Teacher, he replied, speak. So Jesus continues, a certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? This is the question Jesus is asking Simon. And he answers, I suppose the one for whom he cancelled the greatest debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Beautiful. 
beautiful moment that Jesus has with this woman, all the while teaching a very valuable lesson on forgiveness. So in this moment, and, and Jesus goes on to have so many moments with different people where he's literally forgiving them of their sin and setting them free from the grip of sin on their life. But as Jesus is doing this, what does this actually mean for the people? What does forgiveness actually mean uh, to Jesus? And what's the definition that we find in the Word of God? And, and I want to start off by talking about that because it's so important that we get the definition right. Because for so long, so many people have thought of forgiveness as sweeping things under the carpet, as sweeping wrongs and abuses committed against them just under the carpet saying, no, in order for me to be a good Christian, I just need to forget. I just need to close an eye because that's what Jesus asked me to do. But can I uh, submit to you this morning that that's not the picture of forgiveness that Jesus would have you uh, uh, walk with in your life? So. When we talk about forgiveness, in the Bible, there's this Greek word that, um, that really gets to the heart of it. And for all of you Greek scholars out there, I apologize in advance for how I'm going to pronounce this. But the word is aphiemi, aphiemi. So it's written up there, A-P-H-I-E-M-I, aphiemi. And this word, we break it up into two parts. The beginning of this word means separation, to put some distance between you and an object or you and a person or you and an offense. And then the second part of the word, hiemi, is to put in motion, to send away. And so when I think of this, this illustration came to mind of throwing a ball. So when you throw a ball... What do you do? You are ultimately putting distance between you and the ball when you throw it, right? There is a distance that it travels and it is now separate to you, whereas right now it's still a part of me. And if this ball were to be sin, you know, sometimes when we have offenses committed towards us, unless we actually truly forgive and send that offense away from us, it continues to play a part in our life. We, there's no such thing as just forgetting sin and sweeping it under the carpet. It will remain, and for many of us, it remains unchecked in our life, and that's when it actually has the most power to keep us bound, to produce bitterness in our life, to produce a hard-heartedness against people and against God, and sometimes against ourselves as well. But if we were to see forgiveness as throwing a ball, I'm praying it's not coming back. Good. Stop there. Stop there. And no more. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> so if we see forgiveness as a bit of a, that throwing the ball illustration, it's a deliberate action of sending something away from us, from sending an offense away from us so that there is separation. But why would God cause us to do that? What, what's so powerful about this separation? Well, in this separation, I believe God causes freedom to come in. As, as long as there is separation from us and sin, there will be freedom. And I believe that that's exactly what God, what Jesus did when he died on the cross. When he separated us from our sin, he brought us freedom. We access life and liberty and redemption and restoration. But for us, that doesn't come unless we learn to forgive. And so that's a little bit of a picture that I wanted to show you because I think for so many of us, we do, we're in this habit of just trying to forget. Somebody sins against us, oh, it's okay. 
We try to be nice to them. We try to be kind to them. But inside, it's actually tearing us apart. On the inside, we're hurt, but we feel like we can't actually say that we're hurt. We just got to forgive and forget, you know. But no, that's not what God is calling us to. He's calling us through deliberate action to place distance between. But how did, how did we actually come to a place where we need forgiveness because to be honest, at the beginning of creation, when God created the world, it was perfect. There was actually no need for forgiveness. How is it that we came to need this gift of forgiveness? Well, the thing is, is that when God created the world, he gave us another gift. He, the first gift he gave to us, apart from life, is free will. So the fact that we've been given this gift of forgiveness is because we first had this gift of free will. Because the amazing thing about free will is that we have the right. We are free to actually choose God. We have the right to choose all these wonderful things that he places in our life. That's, that's the liberty that free will gives us. No one can take that away from us. Um, and no matter where you've come from here, God has given you a gift of free will. And no man can take away what God has given you. So we are all free to choose Jesus. We are all free to choose peace that he gives us. We're all free to choose joy. We're all free to choose healing that is found in Christ. But the thing is with free will is that the opposite is true as well. If we are free to choose what is good, we are also free to choose what is actually harmful to us. We actually have all the freedom to choose sin, to choose to sin. And because whatever we choose, we actually become responsible for our decisions. We become responsible for our actions. For example, if I were to sin against Nate, if I were to lose my patience with Nate, no, no matter what he's done prior to that, I can never say that he made me lose my patience, whatever that looks like. That's on me. That is my responsibility. I have to own up to those actions. And I also then have to own up to coming to Nate repenting, apologizing, and earnestly trying to do my best to not lose my patience with him again. That is my responsibility. And it's the same with forgiveness. At the core of forgiveness is actually owning up to what we've done wrong. It's actually telling the truth to ourselves. It's living in truth, walking in the truth. Because the minute that we own up, and I get it, it takes humility. It takes sometimes feeling like the person that's wronged us is getting away with stuff. And man, have I felt that. Even just this week, have I felt that. And it is difficult. It takes a humbling of self to say that, yeah, I missed the mark. I stuffed up. And that's what sin actually means. God talks about it as there's a mark that God has set for us, and we miss it. As fallen human beings, we miss it all the time. We sin all the time. And so. When we miss the mark, we've got to own up to it. We actually got to take responsibility. And I know that sometimes that can feel like, yeah, we're the victim or, yeah, we're letting somebody else get off with doing something wrong against us. But really, the minute that we own up to it, the minute that we take responsibility, means that we actually have power over sin in our life. It actually means we have the power to take that ball and throw it far away from us. We can actually separate ourselves from sin then. We can have the power of forgiveness work in our life the minute that we take responsibility. And I think that can be a big part 
of why sometimes people don't ever truly walk in freedom. Because there's pride. Because we constantly battle with pride. But I love that our God says, the proud I keep at arm's length, but the humble I give grace to. I give grace and I lavish it and I'm generous with it. I will pour out my grace upon those who are humble in heart, those who will take responsibility for their wrong. And that is what's at the core of forgiveness. You know, you know often I find that how we treat uh, the problem of sin either committed against us or what we've committed against um, other people is that we don't often go to this beautiful gift of forgiveness. It's not always the first thing that we actually get help from. It's not the first thing that we apply to the situation. Often what I find is that we tend to cover up you know, and replace God and his tools and his principles that give us life, we, we sometimes trade them for things that have no power and a void of life altogether. I was sitting in a cafe the other day and I saw this sign there and it said, drink coffee and do good. And to be honest, I've been seeing these signs for quite some time. I, I don't know, it's kind of... Uh, it's like cute little statements, I guess, that cafes use to um, decorate their shop and things like that. But, you know, the minute that I read that, it was like Holy Spirit brought to memory this proverb here. I think it's proverb, uh, sorry, it's Psalm 37, which actually says, trust in the Lord and do good, not drink coffee. Hello, <laughs> drinking coffee has no benefits except that, you know, it juices you up for the day. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay, there are some benefits to coffee. All right, there are. Um, but can I tell you that it pales into compar- in comparison to actually putting your trust in the Lord. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, man, God, how many times have you told me, take my gift of forgiveness, take that and apply that to your situation rather than drinking more coffee or rather than, um, you know, trying to work myself into a place of forgiveness or trying to cover up the fact that I need forgiveness? That for me was my thing, trying to cover up whenever I actually sinned against someone or did something wrong. Or even when someone sinned against me, I'd try to cover up to say, hey, it's all okay. Big smile on my face. Hey, it's all good. We're we're fine. But on the inside, it's like, we're so not fine. (laughs) We're so not fine. And it's because I went to a substitute. It's because I went to a replacement. When God says, hey, use my gift of forgiveness and I give it to you with grace. So it means that you can't earn it. I lavish it on you. I'm a generous God. It is always there for you to, to apply to your situation. But I find that we, it's so hard for us to go. And again, I think that comes down to pride. It's this issue of pride. We need to learn to humble ourselves and go to God and say, God, I actually need to access this forgiveness that you've given. You know, the, the trouble with trying to work our way to a place of forgiveness or try to cover it up is the fact that we come under condemnation when we do that. And what's condemnation? Say if somebody were to go uh, to the court of law and they were condemned, it meant that they were judged as having done something wrong, illegal against the law, and they had to some way serve time or do community work to uh, make up for it, to, to right their wrong. And that is condemnation. 
But what I love in the Word of God is that it says in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's actually no condemnation for us because of what Jesus did on the cross. He was the one that went in our place and said, I'm going to serve time for this. I'm going to pay the debt. I'm going to right the wrong. And I'm going to give grace to people who will come to me. We come under condemnation if we try and work it out on our own or try to cover things up. But you know what? If we reach for forgiveness, this beautiful gift that God gives us, what we do develop in our life is conviction. It's the knowing of the truth. It's knowing the truth from the Word of God, and it's knowing His kingdom way, God's kingdom way. And the more that we choose to forgive, it's like it solidifies conviction in our life, and we can continue to walk in the way that God has for us every time we choose to forgive instead of try to cover it up or do it with our own work. God wants us to live a life of conviction. He wants us to know the truth from the lies. He wants us to know the way of the kingdom because it's so much better than in the way of the world. It's so much better than what sin and death promises us as life. It's so much better than that. And so God would have us choose forgiveness in order to live out a life of conviction, of truth, of light and of life. I love our God. He's so amazing. He's so amazing. And so he gives us this gift of forgiveness. So how does Jesus come into this picture? How is Jesus actually our forgiveness? How did he make a way for, for us to access this gift? Well, before we get to Jesus, I want to paint a bit of a picture as to what the world would have looked like, the culture of the day would have looked like before Jesus. Because as much as we have people living in today's world who don't have a relationship with God, who aren't right with God yet, our world has been influenced so deeply, so greatly by the love of God by the message of Christ. And so today, even, even as we live out in our world, it still was not uh, the picture of what it was before Jesus. In the ancient world, so we'll paint this picture for you, and I think I've got a bit of a table um, up there that might help you out. If you can read that, sorry for people up the back. Um, but so basically, in the ancient world, um, what dictated the culture of the day and, and uh, the philosophy of the day were the Greek and Roman gods and actually what they, uh, uh, what they thought and how they behaved and how they acted towards human beings. So often in Greek culture, the gods had a strong sense of justice and law, but they didn't have a strong sense of mercy and forgiveness. So they had this strong sense of right and wrong and judgment needs to happen and punishment needs to happen, but they lacked mercy and forgiveness. And of course, humans follow suit. They would mimic their idea of God, just like how us as Christians, we're made in the image of God and we are to mimic, we are to be like our wonderful Savior, Jesus. People in the ancient world, they would act according to their gods. And I talk about their gods as lower capital G. Um, so people would follow suit. And just 
coming back to the story of the woman who was forgiven by Jesus, she was able to love much because she was forgiven much. Whereas for these people, because they were never forgiven, because they had no mercy shown to them, what they would go around doing is laying down the law, um, declaring judgment over people and, and really looking to find punishment for people's sins. That's the kind of world uh, that the world was like before Jesus came. So we have this issue of justice and law, mercy and unforgiveness. But on top of this, there was this dichotomy of gods and humans. Gods were up here, humans were here. There was no relationship. And on top of that, the gods were unknown. They chose to be unknown. And so no human being could know the character, could know the nature. There was inconsistency with gods. They would, um, they would act in accordance with how they felt. That's what people believed. And so for people living under that, they lived in fear. They lived with this sense of anxiety, this insecurity, because they didn't really know who the gods were that they were serving. They were literally at the mercy of how the gods felt that day, whether they wanted to be kind, whether they wanted to show pity, um, which was the best that they would show. There was no such thing as forgiveness. It was just pity. So sometimes people's sins and the offenses that they committed, sometimes it would be pardoned by these gods. But people didn't know for sure. There was this state of really being enslaved to these gods that were nameless, who they couldn't know, who they didn't interact with. It was terrible. It was terrible. People lived in slavery. But when Jesus came, we actually see all of that completely destroyed, really. We see all of that destroyed. This idea of gods being like that was destroyed in Jesus But before we get to Jesus, I want to talk a little bit about what the Old Testament says about forgiveness. So this is a little bit of introduction to forgiveness through the Word of God. Because you see what the Old Testament affords us, and you know, I really must disagree with people who say that the Old Testament is irrelevant, because it's absolutely relevant. Um, And what I love about the Old Testament is that we see very physical pictures of things that happen that actually show us a spiritual reality of what Jesus achieved and conquered really on the cross. And this morning I want to share one of those things with you because it, it has to do with forgiveness. So forgiveness is referred to as atonement in the Old Testament. So whenever you read about this concept of atonement, it's actually talking about forgiveness. And what the priests would do, so they had this system where um, priests would be the ones who would go into the temple and they would do these practices that allowed the sin of the people to be forgiven, atonement. So what the priests would do is that they would take two goats. Yes, this is a wombat. I know the difference between goats and wombats. Um, I actually wanted to bring Mowgli in to to demonstrate this, but not fully, obviously. But he would have been, you know, as good as a real live goat. So I thought, no, that's not a good idea. Um, So I have my friend Wombat here, but just pretend he's a goat for now, a full-sized goat. Um, But the priest would take two goats. So one goat, it's blood, sadly, Wombat would be sacrificed on the altar. um, And his blood that was shed would actually be the forgiveness of sin. It would be the the price that needed to be paid for sin. Um, And so that, you know, his blood would run out and that was kind of the end of that goat. Um, The second goat, ta-da! 
What the priest would do with the second goat, however, is that he would lay his hands on the goat. And as he was doing this, he would transfer, transmit all the sin of the people onto the goat. Poor goat. Um, And what he would then do is actually get someone to go and take the goat out into the wilderness where goat would wander and, um, and, and basically go and remove the sin from the temple. So goat would wander out into the wilderness, out into the desert, talks about a dry place, and the goat would never come back. And what that represented if, you know, we threw the goat, we threw the ball before, I hope you're making the link, but it's that link of uh, forgiveness of as the goat went out, it would also take the sin of the people and separate the sin from the people as far as the east is from the west. I always think how awkward if the goat were to come back, like that would just be terrible. Um, But the goat would be sent out. So you had the payment for sin, which was the shed blood of one goat, and then you had the separation of it through the other goat. So let's look at the cross. When we look at the cross, we have our amazing saviour, Jesus Christ, go. And what happened to him? His blood was shed. He made the payment for sin. And then what he did, what the Bible talks about is that the sin of all mankind, past, present and future, was laid upon him as he went to the cross. And so as he died, he removed sin as far as the east is from the west, the Bible talks about. He removed sin and he took sin to a place where we could no longer interact with it, where we could no longer go and get it back, where it could no longer come back and have a hold on our life. That's what Jesus did. He became the one that was slain and he removed our sin from us. Jesus became the atonement. But what's powerful is that goats, they're temporary. Again, this is the physical representation of what Jesus did in a spiritual way. Jesus set us free from the power of sin and death by going to the cross, dying for our sin and rising again. That's what Jesus did. I love how in Psalm 103, you see sometimes the Psalms are actually prophetic literature about Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read a Psalm and you're like, wait, Jesus hasn't come yet, but this sounds a lot like Jesus. Yes, absolutely, you're on the ball. So Psalm 103, I love how they say it, say this about Jesus. It says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. That's what they were saying before Jesus even came, that he would remove our transgressions as far as the east is to the west. Do the east and west ever meet? No. So it's wonderful. It's amazing. Jesus gets rid of sin from our life. And then I love, after Jesus has come and gone, Ephesians talks about his work like this. In Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. The Bible says that it is finished. Jesus paid the price of our sin and of death in our life so that we don't have to be like the sacrificial goat. We don't have to be the ones who sacrifice our life and lay on the altar because Jesus has already gone for us. And he's done the work of separating sin from us that we couldn't, couldn't have done for ourselves. 
I love it. And so in Jesus, we have something better. Instead of having a God who is unknown, who lacks mercy, who lacks forgiveness, who is separate, we have a God who came to earth to be reconciled in relationship with us, who came in flesh and blood so that we could actually know him. We could know his nature. We could know what he is about, what he does. And he's a God full of mercy and full of forgiveness. And that's why there is, there is an ounce of good in our world. It's because Jesus actually came left a mark on our world. He's the one that ushered in forgiveness. He's the one that ushered in mercy. He's changed the game for all of us, for all of us. So as I get the band up this morning, um, there's a couple of things that I want us to actually do today. And, and I have a video for you shortly, but this morning I just want to talk to those of you here who have never actually maybe heard about Jesus before, or maybe you have, and you haven't ever made a decision to be reconciled with him, to have relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and you understand the weight of sin. You understand the weight of unforgiveness in your life. And maybe you're here and you try to cover up your sin, but you know that it's actually a heavy burden upon you. Maybe you're trying to make amends and right wrongs, but you know that you've gotten to the end of yourself and there's no way that you can actually do it with your own power. Well, this morning, I want to ask you, I want to invite you into a relationship with Jesus so that you can walk out of here different, that you can walk out here actually having experienced the forgiveness of a saviour who went to the cross, who gave his life for you, and you can be set free from the hold of sin from the grip of sin that's upon your life. And so this morning, I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and say this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you as a sinner in need of forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Be my Lord and my Saviour. I want to know you and I want to be like you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you said that prayer for the very first time, then congratulations. You're going to actually experience life like you've never experienced before. You're going to experience a freedom like you've never experienced before. And, and my father-in-law, Peter, is up the back there, and he would love to actually have a conversation about uh, with you about the decision that you've just made and he's got a gift which is a bible that we want to get into your hands to help you along this journey we also have a um, number that will come up on the screen that you can text and you will receive 30 days of encouragement 30 days of scripture to really add some strength to the start of your journey with Jesus hey but it's such a great decision that you've made this morning and I know, I'm convinced that you will walk out here differently. You will receive forgiveness. You will receive freedom that comes with that. I believe it. You know, I understand that as we talk about forgiveness today, that it's actually a really difficult thing for some of you, especially if you've been walking for so long, having not brought your sin, your wrong, your failures to God before. I understand for some of you, maybe you come from backgrounds where you feel like 
if God knew really what I have done, if God knew the sin that I've committed, if he knows the hurt that I have caused other people, then surely he wouldn't forgive me. But this morning, I've come here to tell you that there is no one beyond the forgiveness of God. His blood was shed for every single person. You are not beyond his forgiveness, no matter what you've done. And I don't need to know what you've done to say with confidence that you will be forgiven if you call upon the name of Jesus. He's just so good like that. But this morning, I wanted to not just tell you that, but I wanted to show you the power of actually receiving forgiveness from God, no matter what you've done. And so we've got a little testimony video. It goes for a few minutes, but I'd love for you to turn your attention to the screen and hear Emmanuel's story. I love Emmanuel's story. I think for some of us, as much as there is no scale, there's no gradient when it comes to sin, all sin is sin. And all of us have fallen short of the mark that God has called for us. We've all been there. You know, for some of us, we would consider murder as one of those sins that is just maybe unforgivable. But you know, if Emmanuel received forgiveness from Jesus, if he received life and is able to walk in it, then I believe that Jesus would do that for you as well. He would do that for me as well. So this morning, what we're actually going to do, we're going to end our experience by receiving communion together. And this is powerful in a couple of ways because for those of us who feel like what we have done is too far beyond God, well, the emblems of communion represent Jesus' blood that was shed and Jesus' body that was broken for the forgiveness of our sin. So we're actually going to take a bit of a stance. We're going to declare to ourselves that especially if we've been holding back from asking God for forgiveness this morning, we're going to take that deliberate action and we're going to ask God for forgiveness. And we're going to declare to ourselves that there is no sin that is unforgivable from our God. There is nothing that Jesus uh, went to the cross and could not forgive, but he has paid it all for every single person for all sin. So I want that to be your declaration this morning. But as well, communion is a communal activity. Jesus took communion with his disciples. It was a communal thing that we did together. And you know what I love about being in a community of believers is that we have each other's backs. That when we're coming under condemnation, when we're feeling the guilt and the shame of the things that we've done, if we've gone to Jesus and received his forgiveness and we've gone to the people we've wronged and, and received their forgiveness, but we still feel that guilt and shame, well, we have each other to remind ourselves that we actually exist in a community that is forgiven. We exist in a community that has been redeemed, that has been restored, that has been healed, that has been set free through our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I invite you to stand to your feet. And the host team are going to come forward and they're going to distribute the emblems this morning. And as they do it, I want you to just position your heart. Where are you at today? Do you have that sense of, God, 
I've just done so much and I don't know whether you can forgive me. Well, this morning I want you to declare to yourself, declare it to your soul this morning that there is nothing outside the blood of Jesus. There is nothing outside of the forgiveness of Jesus. And others of you, this is a prophetic act, a declaration to yourself to step out of the guilt and shame of your past and into the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. So right now, we're going to take the bread together. You can do that now. And now the cup. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness that we receive, not because we earn it. We can't do anything, God, to earn it. But Father, you give us forgiveness because you are a gracious, loving God. You are so good to us. So this morning, God, as we take communion, As we take that in, Father, may it be a prophetic act to say that we are a community of forgiven people, that no longer do we have to live bound by sin, bound by guilt, bound by shame, but also bound by bitterness and hard-heartedness and pride. But God, we choose in this moment to humble ourselves and to receive your gift of forgiveness. God, we receive your life. Lord, I declare over every person here this morning, healing, wholeness. God, the removing of shame and guilt right now in the name of Jesus. And God, I declare life and light and truth to every area of every believer here this morning. Jesus, we give you glory. We give you praise. We thank you for everything that you are doing in this moment, what you've done today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now that's the end of our experience. Thank you, host team. If you would like prayer for anything at all, maybe if this message resounded with you, if God's been speaking to you about something this morning, you would like prayer for it. Or maybe if you need healing in your body, we'd love to pray alongside with you as well. But the altar area is open. We'll be open for the next five to 10 minutes. So we'd love to see you up here if you would like prayer. If not, have an awesome Sunday. Make sure that you head out to the foyer. Check out the table where you can register for Christmas dinners on December 22nd. But have an amazing morning. I just pray a quick prayer of blessing over you and then head on out. God, we thank you so much for this community here. God, I thank you that we can gather under you, Lord. God, I thank you that we can receive your freedom in this place, receive your grace in this place. And God, I just pray that as every person walks out of here today, God, they would go knowing you love them, your grace is sufficient and lavished upon them, and God, that their sin is forgiven in your precious blood, Jesus. We thank you, God. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.